Hosting for Your Tech Life, proudly provided by Web Central. Everything technology, from computers to mobile phones, TVs and the internet. Information you want, want. all the help you need. Your Tech Life with Trevor Long. Well, hello, thank you for listening, thank you for downloading. It is episode 349 of Your Tech Life. Lovely to be with you. It is um, Wednesday as I record this, and I know it's been a while. We'll talk about that in a second. Um, we do it all thanks to the good people at Garmin, Satellite Navigation, GPS Technology, and Alcatel with their range of affordable smartphones dominating the market. Alcatel One Touch, the uh, the Alcatel Go Play, the Alcatel Idle 4, they're all there uh, from Alcatel. You can check them out online. We have so much to talk about on this show. I'm going to talk about the census. I'm going to talk about your doorbell. I'm going to talk about the Lenovo Yoga book, that one I saw in um, Berlin. I've had a play with it now. I want to talk about what's happening with Telstra and Google in your area. Desperate for your feedback on that. I want to challenge you to think about how many devices are connected in your home. And I want to bring you a couple of great interviews. Uh, Well, I think they're great. You can judge if you like. Um, That originally uh, appeared on my radio show, Talking Technology, on TUE. Um, So you might hear bits and pieces of of Luke Boner with me there in the background. But... uh, yeah, great conversations with some big names. Uh, the managing director of Uber in Australia, um, head of immersive media at Facebook, and we're going to talk about photos with Kodak. Um, these were all, I, I just thought, really great chats, really great products, really great um, information. So I'll bring those to you here on Your Tech Life as well. Um, that's the way we roll here. It's uh, it's as easy as that. Um, always happy to get your, your emails, your tweets, your... Um, your communiques. Uh, Twitter, I think, is the best way to get in touch. Go to the uh, the tweets. Uh, at Trevor Long is my uh, Twitter username. Um, you can find me on Facebook. Uh, just go trevorlong.com. That'll take you to my uh, my Facebook page. <clears throat> and, of course, you can go to the website, eftm.com.au. And, um, yeah, wonderful to hear from you and hopefully hear from you very soon. Your Tech Life with Trevor Long. Now, um let me let me start by addressing um, the very fact that this podcast still exists. <laughs> um, I, I won't lie. Um, see, my diary is my my life, and Tuesday night was always blocked out for the podcast. And now every night um, at eight o'clock, I'm on the radio uh, at uh, TUE Talking Lifestyle in Sydney nine five four. You can find us on the web talkinglifestyle.com.au. And so I do a technology show every single night of the week. Um, and certainly when I get home uh, from the radio station at 10, 1030, uh, I'm not in the position, let alone um, emotionally or physically or mentally, uh, to do a podcast. So it's kind of thrown me um, for six there. Um, and I need to get my act together in terms of scheduling my life. And <clears throat> I'm just testing out. And over the next few weeks, we might be a bit erratic uh, with the timing. But I'm just testing out when is a great time to record now. And I, I I have a feeling we'll end on a morning. It'll be a Monday morning or a Wednesday morning. Um, I'm going to try, though, and separate it by many days from uh, Two Blokes Talking Tech. Um, so we might end up with Two Blokes Talking Tech being a Thursday record and Your Tech Life being uh, a Monday, for example, um, because it's going to be a lot more of me and, and the odd interview. So... Um, talkback's a tough one to do on your tech life if I'm not getting a lot of emails and a lot of the emails are now coming through on the radio. So um, if you do want my help, you do want my advice, uh, just go to the website eftm.com.au um, and we'll find a time to have a chat and, and put that down for the podcast. Um, but otherwise, um, going to cover the news of the week, my thoughts on tech this week and bring you as many of the, the cool things that occurred on the radio show, for example, Um uh, on on this podcast because there's some you know great chats where we're talking to really cool people um, and yeah I think it, I think it'll turn out to be a nice little combination of everything um, I should say that I don't expect people to subscribe uh, to this podcast and listen to the radio show every night and listen to Two Blokes Talking Tech and I don't know you can podcast the radio show as well um, but I think some people would prefer just a, a one-off weekly dose. Uh, some people prefer this and the combination of two blokes talking tech. I don't know. Everyone's an individual. But here's the thing. <clears throat> it would be useful to hear from you about that. Um, 
if you're driving along going, well, this is crap, or you're driving along thinking, this is awesome, um, then maybe get in touch. Uh, send me an email. Um, go to the website, uh, eftm.com.au. Go to the website and let me know what um, what you think. Let me know um, what you think might be the best way forward. I'm happy to have your feedback on that as well. Uh, here on Your Tech Life. Um, So much to cover each and every week. I think we can make it happen here on Your Tech Life. So, oh, yesterday, Tuesday in Australia was Senate Estimates Census Inquiry Day. Um, And I sat and I watched the live stream from Senate Estimates with four Rather boring senators who didn't really get engaged. Nick Xenophon was on the phone. He'd had to attend a funeral. So he would have been, I think, much more uh, aggressive or, or inquisitive if he was in the room. But that's that's the circumstances. And I feel like the senators were a little bit out of their depth. But they did their best to, to quiz the ABS, and then IBM, and then Alastair McGibbon uh, on what happened that night. Now... What can you say? I mean, the overall summary here is that the IBM sorry, um, the ABS is sorry, and Alastair McGibbon, who's the uh, Prime Minister's um, Chief Cybersecurity um, Officer, um, is filthy. <laughs> he he can't believe it happened. Now, <clears throat> there was a great summary I saw in the City Morning Herald, which said this. What did we learn? All parties are very sorry for what happened, but insist someone else is to blame. IBM has blamed a subcontractor for a geo-blocking failure, which is generally seen as the heart of the matter. IBM is also in talks with the federal government about paying some of the costs of the debacle. The Australian Bureau of Statistics has promised a more rigorous um, time in the next census, uh, but has put the blame on the IBM. And the Prime Minister's cybersecurity czar, Alastair McGibbon, says IBM failed to deliver on its contractual obligations, but that the ABS should have done more to check the IBM systems. And the former head of the ABS said the whole thing is embarrassing, especially the public information campaign. Um, and it's, 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 uh, it's ended with the words, good times. <clears throat> Look, it's staggering to me that we got to this point. Staggering to me that the ABS can sit and suggest that they thought everything was going to be okay. Um, I can see how they thought it might be that case because they were, were told that by IBM, but why would you trust one company? There was no, they paid hundreds of thousands of dollars to a third party for uh, load testing, but they didn't pay anyone to test IBM's solution. <clears throat> it's very, very strange. IBM's managing director then stood up, said he apologized, said it was a, a bad thing that happened, but they haven't sacked anyone. They haven't even disciplined anyone over what happened. Um, it's quite remarkable to me that no one would be disciplined over something like uh, such a big deal like this. Um, but that's that's the way IBM roll, apparently. Now, when it comes down to it, let me be very clear. I, I've i said from the start, I don't even believe there was a denial of service tax. And I certainly don't understand why so much money was spent with IBM. So let's, let's address those two things. Was there a denial of service attack? Anyone with deep knowledge of uh, denial of service attacks, but but aren't involved in a specific organisation like the ABS or IBM, can only look from the outside in and say, what did we see on the internet on that night? What was the traffic on the internet? And when a denial of service attack occurs, it shows up on, on the traffic map of the internet, if you like. There was no sign of this denial of service attack on the internet, which is why I think it's reasonable to say, what the hell happened? The the worst part about this, the worst part is this attack was a denial of service attack. I will take Alistair McGibbon's word on that. But it was so small that it would not normally register on those attack radars. But if something was so small, how on earth did it bring the sensors down? And I'll tell you how. It brought it down because the IBM system's weren't good enough to prevent the census from being brought down by the most simple of denial of service attacks. That is embarrassing. Embarrassing. And the other thing that that came out, which was hilarious, was that it turned out that they did all this testing in the lead-up, simulation testing. But 
<laughs> Seriously, this is hilarious. But what they didn't test before the census night was whether or not whether or not turning it off and turning it back on again would work. And that is what failed on the night. They turned off a router and it failed to turn back on with a configuration in place. Had they have turned it off physically in the lead up to the event, they would have known. <laughs> oh, it's funny. It's very funny. Now, cost-wise, I think this is the best line of questioning, which didn't really go deep enough. You know, the Australian government paid the ABS in 2006, 2011, and again in 2016. A total of something like $16 million. Now, the question is, shouldn't it have been cheaper the third time round, even with some differences and some scaling up? It wasn't. And secondly, was anyone else given the chance to bid for this? They weren't. The ABS did some very basic market uh, research to see who else might be capable, but they never um, they never went to anyone else. They went direct to IBM and, and got them to quote nearly $10 million, and we paid them nearly $10 million bucks. Now, they're in negotiation with the government. Aren't, we're not going to see half that money back. We're going to see like a million or two back, I reckon. It won't be, some, it won't be like they're going to do it for free. Um, maybe, maybe we'll be surprised. I don't know, but it'll be interesting to see what happens with, um, with the overall outcome of the ABS. I think, um, Malcolm Turnbull needs to come out and say some pretty full on things. They, they need to, they need to call for heads, if not action. Bureaucracy is such that people don't lose their jobs for stuff like this. And they should, I'm sorry. It's harsh, but. You know what? When you stuff up this bad, I don't know that you really are entitled to continue doing your job. So we'll have to wait and see. I'm not sure. Anyway, we'll be interested in, in your views. Uh, go to the website, eftm.com.au or hit me up on Twitter, at uh, Trevor Long. So I've been testing this ring doorbell for a little while. Now, I saw this in at least 2015, I thought earlier, at CES. I saw it again at CES this year, and I saw it at IFA in Berlin. And this is a video doorbell, and they've been doing some solid advertising here in Australia too. Uh, Ring.com is the website, and I installed um, this thing on the front door of my house. It connects to your Wi-Fi network and you download an app. It does all that. And then from that point on, you get motion alerts. It records video when motion is detected. And if someone presses the doorbell, not only does it record it, but you can have a uh, two-way conversation with the person standing at your door. Um, It's very cool. It's $300, though. Now, if you have no other security solutions, it's probably not bad. Um, but as a doorbell, it's expensive, but as a doorbell, it's remarkable. So check out my review at eftm.com today. I did a video, which included a couple of, couple of courier videos and also included one with my kids. And the great thing about the courier videos were I wasn't at the house and a courier pressed the doorbell. I said, g'day mate, I've got a parcel for you. And I just, from, I was at the zoo, I was at Taronga Zoo. And I said, mate, I'm just upstairs. Can you just leave it there? He said, yeah, no worries. What's your name? I said, Trevor. Done. Finished. All done. I mean, it was just so good. It was so easy. Um, so I actually think that it's it's a remarkably awesome um, solution for a doorbell. My only question is it's, it's very expensive, obviously. Um, $300 is a lot of money. Now, you can get them at JB Hi-Fi. You can get them at ring.com. Um, and I think you'll find a lot of people will be um, uh, keen on one of those. The Ring Video Doorbell, my full review is at eftm.com.au and a video embedded in there um, also at eftm.com.au. Talking technology without the jargon. Your Your Tech tech Life with Trevor Long. So I mentioned last week the Vivo Fit Junior has launched from Garmin. This is an activity tracker for kids and a daily activity tracker for kids which features more than a year's battery life, kid-friendly design, comfortable, durable, and swim-friendly. It tracks steps, sleep, and 60 minutes of daily recommended activity. The free parental-controlled app includes fun and educational mobile adventures for kids and chore behavior 
management for parents. So basically, the Vivo Fit Junior uh, activity tracker is controlled by parents using the compatible app. And from the app, you can add multiple children, see their steps, sleep, and daily activities, and chore data when it automatically syncs with your smartphone. You can assign tasks and chores, find out how many reward coins each child has, and even invite the whole family to compete in a daily step challenge. So basically, this is taking the fuss out of household chores by letting the VivoFit Junior do the work. Parents can assign chores from the app. Kids will see that on the bands, the jobs they have to do, and they can be set to recur daily or weekly. Uh, Perfect for kids who need reminders to brush their teeth or make their beds. And for youngsters who like to procrastinate, uh, set up a task timer for VivoFit Junior and remind them that their time to finish homework or get dressed is ticking down. The VivoFit Junior... Uh, is available now. It's $129. Uh, you can get it at um, garmin.com.au or find a dealer that you're going to find. Uh, Rebel Sport and Amart are the best places to find it online. So search Rebel Sport. You'll see that little guy, the Vivo Fit Junior. Now, do you remember when I was in Berlin, I talked about a, a product called the Lenovo Yoga Book. Now, this is a very cool um, convertible uh, laptop tablet. Now, the way it works is that um, the... Uh, tablet it's a it's a windows or android device and it folds out like a laptop but there's no physical keys for a keyboard the keys appear on the on the touch surface from underneath they're like lit up and then if you don't want the keys there you can turn it into a touch surface with a pen or stylus so you can actually so here's what's cool you can draw on that touch surface with a stylus you can put paper down and actually make notes and they're recorded on the computer my issue i think is that the uh, Windows version that I used, not so great. $999. I think for $799, we'd have a much more interesting product because the Android version is what I really want to play with. I think the Android version inter- interacts much better with the overall um, device, if you like. Um, it has the ability for it to be folded back on itself so it's in tablet mode and for you to make notes on the back without even having the device on and it's recording them. Um, the the pen-paper combination is sensational. So my concern here is it's an unbelievably innovative design, innovative product, innovative in every way, but I just don't think Windows plays it well. So if you're looking at playing with trying or, or considering the Lenovo Yoga Book, my advice, um, just check out the Android version. I think there's probably a whole lot better to be said about the Android version than the Windows version. Right, so I need your help here. Um, the Google Pixel, right? Now, this is the Google smartphone, made by Google, phoned by Google. You've seen these ads. So Telstra is the exclusive retailer for this at the moment. I have a suspicion that the other telcos will get it in a few months. I'm not, I can't confirm that, though. Um, however, geez, Telstra are going hard on it, really hard. So um, I wanted your input here. I'd love for you to get in touch, whether you tweet me a photo at Trevor Long, whether you email me via the website eftm.com.au or go to the Facebook page. I'll find you, you'll find me. We'll find each other. Take photos or just tell me what you've seen. What is the marketing like for this product in your area? Because here's what it's like in Sydney, just the bits of Sydney that I go to. Um, The billboard at the um, uh, White Bay, the, um, the silos there, people that know as you drive over the Harbour Bridge, has been for a couple of weeks now, has been Google Pixel. Now, that's hundreds of thousands of dollars worth of marketing just there. I, I caught a train from Caringbar to Central and had to walk from the kind of Bondi line up to the, um, uh, to the suburban platform. So I walked, walked through a fair bit of the train station. Google Pixel stickers on every wall. Like they've just rebranded the whole train station. Google Pixel, thanks to Telstra. And, I mean, it's just, it's huge. I've never seen anything like it. I mean, it's it's iPhone-esque, an early iPhone. So I'm wondering what it's like where you are. Is this a fully national campaign? Is it regional? If you live in regional Australia, I'd love to know what Google Pixel marketing you're seeing. Um, I, yeah, I think it's, I think it's huge. And here's the thing, I think Google is smartly, at the right time, able to capitalize on Samsung's woes because I think Telstra is keen for, to have a bit of a spike in Android 
rather than just Apple at this time of year. Google now has front and center position at the at the opening of a of a Telstra store. As you walk in, you'll see Google. That's the first time in forever that Samsung or Apple haven't been there. So it's a pretty big deal. And so I'd love to know what's happening in your area. So let me know what you're seeing. Uh, what is the Google Pixel marketing like where you are? Uh, go to the website eftm.com.au or tweet me at Trevor Long. Your Tech Life with Trevor Long. Now, interesting research. And again, I wouldn't mind your feedback here. Just sit down for a minute, think about your Wi-Fi network and do a count. How many devices have you got connected? If you're a bit tech savvy, log into your router and have a look. Tell me how many devices are connected to your Wi-Fi network. I'll do mine right now. Okay. Login, password. Right at this very moment. And there's no one here. My wife's gone out. She's taking the kids to school. There are 37 devices connected to our network at home. <laughs> now, to be clear, I've got two iPads in front of me, an iPhone, a computer, uh, two network storage devices, another computer. Uh, there's another mobile phone there. I've got a few devices just here with me. The average home in Australia has 11, according to NBN Research, uh, through Telsite. 11 devices connected to your network. I've got that just on me. In our entire home, we're at about 37 to 40. Um, the NBN reckon that within four years, due to the take-up of connectivity in Australia, um, we're going to be more like 29 in our homes. 29 connected devices. Now, I don't know if that freaks you out or what, but it shouldn't. Because you're going to have light switches. You've got your ring doorbell. All these things are connected to your network. And I think it's really interesting to see how connectivity in our lives, so the NBN, is one of the drivers behind connecting more and more and more um, devices to our networks. So I'd love to know how many devices are connected to yours right now. I'd also love to know how many devices you think might be connected in four years because what's coming to your home? What extra stuff do you think you're going to get in your home? Have you been thinking about smart home but haven't done it? Let me know. Let me know your situation at home. Um, I'd be interested in your views. I wrote the statistics and details all up at eftm.com.au. Now, after this, I want to bring you these three conversations I had on the Talking Technology Show. I think you'll find them quite engaging if you haven't already heard them. Um, the, um, the three conversations I'll bring you are, and we'll do them in this, in this order. I want to talk about Kodak Moments. It's a great app. Um, and we'll explain it with the people from Kodak, but um, the app allows you to not only store photos in Kodak's cloud, but get them printed uh, professionally and in high quality by Kodak in Melbourne. So they're being printed here in Australia, not overseas. That's a great conversation. And then we'll move to Tales by Light, the, um, the National Geographic series, which this was a week or so ago, so it's just about to start on um, Nat Geo. Tales by Light, we'll talk to Eric from Facebook, who's also a budding underwater photographer, not budding, he's amazing. Um, and then we'll talk to David Rorschheim, the uh, boss of Uber in Australia, about how cities move. Um, all of those interviews are from my weekday radio show on Talking Lifestyle. The website is talkinglifestyle.com. The radio station is uh, TUE, Talking Lifestyle on Sydney 954. You can pick it up on the interwebs at talkinglifestyle.com.au. 8 p.m. Sydney time. Um, let's hear those chats, but let's first hear something that's been missing. Kodak is synonymous with film and photographs. 
It's a bit sad, really, that Kodak as a brand hasn't really featured much in the digital camera and smartphone camera revolution. In fact, it's probably what caused the company to go downhill. People don't print photographs like they used to. They upload them to Facebook. They're simply kept on a smartphone. My kids, I think I said this the other the other week, when we were watching a Bathurst Channel 1991 came on, I reached down, pulled out my, my photo album of Bathurst 1991 and showed them the hundreds of photos I took because you just kept taking photos because you didn't know if you got a good one. And they were kind of blown away by this book of pictures. Well, not anymore. Kodak has returned, sort of. They've built an app called Kodak Moments. And it's a couple of different things. It's a digital storage solution for your photos, but you can also request for your snaps to be printed, and they'll post printed photographs to you. Michael Palm is the marketing manager for Kodak Alaris in Australia, and I'd like to welcome him to the show. G'day, Michael. Good evening, gentlemen. Mate, Kodak Moments, the app, is really interesting, and I guess Kodak is the best company to entrust with the printing of our photos, right? Correct, it is. So talk us through the app. What's, what's, what's your elevator pitch on Kodak Moments? Why should I download it? Well, I think you sort of said it from the start. Photography has always been a part of our lives. From when almost the day we were born, parents were taking photos of us, and every photograph has a story to tell. Back in the film days, you had to print photographs if you wanted to, to read it at the moment. But uh, the beauty of the digital era was it's great to allow us to capture more photographs, but our special moments tend to get lost in the vast array of photos we're capturing. We're taking 10, 20, 30 photos to capture that one special moment. So we really want people to value those special moments again that, like you said before, from the 1991 Bathurst, it has that emotional connection to you. We want people to have that same emotional connection to photography in, in 2016 and beyond. So let's talk through the app. I downloaded it um, today, in fact, and, um, and had a bit of a play. It feels, at first glance, like another social network. It feels a bit like Instagram, and people, if they, when they first use it, might see it as a, it's a feed of photos. You can add your family, you can add your friends, and when you add a photo, in fact, one of the critical things that I really love about it is when you're adding a photo, you're not just putting a caption. It says to you, in five years' time, what do you want to remember most about this moment? And you write that down. So what's what's the motivation for the app? Is it a social network or is it a place to store photos? It's two parts of it. So we understand today there's a vast array of social networks and, and online portals. And you had a, an email earlier asking for a way to compress your images. And we don't want to do that. We want to have a place where people can safely and securely um, save their photographs. So the social component you mentioned, what this allows you to do is upload original resolution files. It doesn't compress your images. It doesn't do any downsizing. It keeps the original file size saved through the app. And then what you can do is you can add family, friends, or really good co-workers and share those special memories with them. So you can share the story behind the photograph with your you know, close family and friends, not just the hashtag, but remember, what was the weather doing? What was mm. you feeling? Just sort of that real, that it spurs those moments. And I'm sure the same, to go back to your example, you probably smell the rubber of the tyres when you were, at yeah. the top of Mount Panorama, you remember that emotion. So you want, in five years' time, when you're retelling that story or you see that photograph, you really feel that sense of emotion behind the photograph. So the message there is that when you when you think about using an, uh, something like Instagram or Facebook as a place to store your photos, you, you, you need to know that what it's doing is keeping its copy of your photo. It's keeping a, a lower resolution, possibly a compressed version. And there's there's a loss of information. There's a loss of quality with that photo when you when you save it there. Because some people do. They think that their Instagram feed is, is a copy of their life. But if, if you use Kodak Moments, what you're saying is you'd be selective, of course. You don't have to save everything there. But you'd be selective about the moments you want to save. And they are shared. But when you then come back to them and choose to engage with that photo again, whether it's just to look at it again on your phone or get a print, it's in full quality. Correct. And you can also add filters and effects. So if you want to make it black and white, and one unique part of the app too is it does allow you to add the old vintage filter effects. So you might remember the Kodachrome or Funsaver or a lot of the old film effects. We've now got that within the app. So you can add filters that keep the file its original format. And then exactly as you said, You've got the photos in the app, and but also too on your phone's camera roll, you then want to print. So you go from the social part of the app to the print perspective, and as you said before, you can print in a multitude of products, whether it's a traditional four by six print, right up to a large. Uh, it's about you know one meter wide by forty centimeters high panoramic canvas print. So remember your high, your photograph, 
photo books to tell a story. There's a multitude of photo products you can print straight from your app. And and, and, and while I've got the photos in my app, and they could be photos on my smartphone directly or stored in, in Kodak Moments, I could be in front of a kiosk, a, a Kodak kiosk at a, at a shop, and actually have them printed right there um, by scanning a code on the kiosk, or I can just get them delivered to home. So I put in my address. I did this earlier. I, I picked, I think, six photos and 15 cents to print a uh, six by four, and it was like 75 cents for the photos, um, which would be almost silly, but it was only a couple of bucks for the postage and handling. So but just straight from my phone... I could have had the photos delivered to home, and you might do a hundred photos. You might do ten. You might do, you might make a book. You might might do a gift, which could be maybe a mug. Correct, exactly. It's got still the old Kodak quality, the which was Kodak's nostalgic store. They always meant quality, and we definitely want to continue to bring that across today. So, while it's not film, it's from a smartphone. The photos you select from either your phone's camera roll, and also the beauty of the app is you can sync it to your social media account. So, print photographs in your Facebook album from Instagram from your Dropbox account. Select a multitude of photos, and then they are printed on the high-quality Kodak paper that will last a lifetime. You could even—I've got—I'm looking at it here. I could print a 12-inch by 40-inch canvas print for for $99. Um, the quick question: Does Kodak still make film? It's almost like the millennial people who uh, suddenly film has become cool again and, and wanting to print. It's uh, it is a very niche market, but we we feel for us that particularly parents who are capturing you know thousands of photos of their kids and my wife is definitely a big example of that and you know they're very time poor and you know they may not have a chance to get to a store to print their photographs so come the end of the day they can uh, have a, a glass of uh, glass of wine or maybe a tea in one hand and and order photos with the other hand and by the end of the week they can have the photos delivered uh, directly to their front door to their office or you can even send it to family members who may live interstate as a, as a gift or a present. And you could do it at the end of your holiday. So you might be on the last day of your holiday and you flick through your phone looking at all the photos you've taken. You might order a bunch of photos or a photo book and it'll be ready for you in a couple of days after you get home. How long does it take if you order something like a photo book? So if you place your order prints today, they're produced here in, in Melbourne in our Brunswick facility. So I would think your prints you ordered today, uh, Trevor, you'd have them by Friday in your post. So prints are about two to three days, uh, including delivery. And then the photo books take up to four days. So we're not talking very long at all. So they really do make a great gift idea. And it's going to say great for Christmas. Great idea exactly. for Christmas. Coming into the Christmas season, we've got even personalised Christmas stockings that you can put a photograph on Christmas stockings or Christmas ornaments to hang. Scare Santa away. Exactly. At least he'll know who, uh, who gets a lump of coal and <laughs> who can get he'll the... He'll uh, take a look and go, he's been naughty. So the app is called Kodak Moments. It's free to download on uh, iPhone and Android. Uh, free to download, free to use as an app in terms of storing your photos, um, you know, socially sharing your photos. But then um, if you want to get them printed, there's uh, there's a price list. It's all right there in front of you. Pay by credit card or PayPal. Very easy to use. Michael Palm, uh, Marketing Manager at Kodak Alaris here in Australia. Thank you for your time, mate. No problem at all. Thank you. And we do it all thanks to the good people at Alcatel. The um, the Alcatel range of smartphones and products are all available at their website, alcatel-mobile.com. Just search Alcatel, you'll find them. The GoPlay being one of their coolest. It's a $299 smartphone that is shockproof, splash-proof, waterproof, dust-proof. It's, ever, it's life-proof, for crying out loud. It's a great phone. Um, as I said, available at Big W and uh, other retailers. Um, the uh, GoPlay. Um, is a sensational product. Android phone, so it'll be familiar to anyone that's used an Android phone, but as I said, shockproof, waterproof, and dustproof. What more could you want in a phone? Uh, 2,500 milliamp hour battery, great battery life, 8 megapixel camera on the back, 5 on the front. It'll get you through life, trust me, folks, um, and it won't underperform. Some great colors as well, and some great accessories coming over time as well, including GoPlay Watch. All those products and more available at Alcatel. Uh, just check them out. Search for Alcatel, A-L-C-A-T-E-L, Alcatel online. Uh, proud sponsors of Your Tech Life. Well, isn't this a fancy and very curious job title? Head of Immersive Media at Facebook. We mentioned this last night. It's it's hard not to be impressed by Facebook-related things. It's one of those rare companies that has literally changed the world. Eric Cheng is the head of Immersive Media at Facebook. And if that's not impressive enough... He's also an award-winning underwater photographer and has recently recently been working with Canon, uh, the digital camera uh, manufacturer, on their new adventure photography series called Tales by Light Season 2. Here's a taste of what you can expect. 
The art of seeing is such an extraordinary sense that as a photographer, if you can see these moments that only you see and you just want to share them and say, this is the world we live in. What I truly love about photography is its power to capture disappearing worlds. The right image with the purpose of saving these animals can speak volumes to a massive audience and really make a difference. Photography has that power. He's based in San Francisco, but he's here in Sydney, and Eric Cheng has been kind enough to join us right here in the studios at Talking Lifestyle here on Talking Technology. G'day, Eric. Hello. Welcome. Are you going to do any underwater photography while you're here? That's what you love. I, I think so. I yeah? think we have a dive scheduled, yeah. Excellent. So, when did you first experiment with underwater photography? Because it, um, it is a different world, right? It's a different place under there. We don't normally see under the, under the water in this way, but it seems to me that people who get into diving, my brother-in-law Brad is massive on, on diving. He's a dive instructor and you know he's always looking for new cameras. Is it just one of those things that once you see it, you want to start capturing it? Yeah, I, I don't actually know very few casual underwater photographers. Yeah. You know, most people I know who are underwater photographers uh, have, I mean, it ends up taking over their lives. And that's yeah. exactly what happened to me. <laughs> you know, it, you, there's a, a completely different world down there and yeah. it's totally accessible. I mean, it's in front of you, you can see it, you can photograph it. And on land, I feel like, you know, wildlife is far away and it tries to get away from you. Um, underwater, it's totally different. Wow. So tell us about the relationship with Canon and, and this Tales by Light series. It's a multi-part series on Nat Geo. What is your involvement and what, what have you done for the series? Yeah, I, um, I was contacted late last year about this potential project. And I'd been a Canon shooter um, pretty much all, I mean, all of my professional life underwater. And, um, and the opportunity was really to, sh to tell stories about how we tell stories mm -hmm. and to show that anyone can become a storyteller with a camera because pictures are, can be so powerful. So it's a TV show about photographers telling stories that in a sense will hopefully encourage others to consider you know, looking, on, looking at the deep and, and as a photography subject. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, I mean, I think the point is that you know each photographer has motivations that drive them uh, to go out into the world and capture mm. these stories, and so this particular series focuses on our stories. Um, but I think the the bigger message is that everybody can have their own their own story. I was going to say, in this day of smartphones, we carry around so many photos, and often you know you you reach to your photo to show a photo of your kids or whatever it is. You must have a go to photo, but as a as a Facebook man. What, what's, what's your most liked photo? You know, there must be one that's really just stood out in your, in your feed, if we talk Facebook language. Uh, I mean, the, the, a picture that I've taken. Yeah. Yeah, there, well, there is one. It's a picture. It's called the Screaming Turtle. I have to put, use air quotes yeah, when yeah. I do that. Um, but it's a, a juvenile loggerhead turtle. It's also turtle. the challenge of radio describing yeah. <laughs> a photo too. So. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's a juvenile loggerhead turtle, but it looks like a giant because it's taken up close and it, it, it's too... You know, fins are up in the air. I'm yeah. holding my hands above my air right now, in my head. Yeah. Um, and it's, yeah, there it is. Okay, we see it on the screen oh, here. It. And yeah, it's okay. been, I think I did a search once on the web for it and found that it was embedded on 400,000 websites. Wow. And you've <laughs> um, gone, I'm not even going to bother trying to get take, clip the ticket on that from now on. It's just, it's impossible yeah. with the internet. Yeah. So, and is that, is that the thing about underwater? You mentioned you can get closer. So, you're actually closer with the with the wildlife. So, you're getting a very different perspective. Yeah, it's a very different perspective. Um, and we get closer in part because we have to. You know, underwater right. photography, anyone who's taken a camera underwater will, will come up thinking, man, that's really hard. And right. one reason is light doesn't go very far. You know, red is stripped out. Everything's blue and green, right? right? Um, but if you get close and you bring strobes, you can bring the color out in these animals. And so all of our photography, almost all of it is done within, say, two meters. Wow. That's a very different style of photography. So then in terms of uh, underwater, and it's obviously led you to, to have a, a strong view on conservation, you've served on the board of the directors of Shark Savers. This is a hot topic right now in Australia. We've had a couple of shark attacks up the um, north coast of New South Wales at Ballina. Um, we're now talking about, you know, the, not a not a cull, but you know, the individual shark is is being sought out to to be culled. They're talking about putting up shark nets. Are sharks misunderstood? What what's your view on conservation in that sense? I, I think sharks are misunderstood. I mean, if you talk to people who have never had any experiences with shark mm. sharks, you get some sort of reaction from them, mm. and you know, fear. The, you get fear. That's right. And the media, the media, starting from 
Jaws, starting from yep. the book mm. and all of, all media. <laughs> didn't help. It didn't help. Didn't um, and you know, it caused a lot of these uh, a lot of these perceptions of sharks. But what I've seen is that anyone who has had experiences in the water with sharks, and often this includes, for example, surfers who have actually been bitten by sharks. Mm. Um, I mean, they become shark proponents and shark conservationists right. in themselves. You almost never see someone who's had real experiences with sharks in the water turn against sharks and call for things like culling or netting. Yeah. And so nets are, are a bad thing in your view? Well, I mean, I think we need all the information. And this goes back to why yeah. we're, we're doing what we do, which is to present stories that that cause people to maybe develop an interest in subjects ma- subject matter like sharks. Mm. And I think, you know, you have to look at the, all the data. I mean, what are the nets? What is the goal? Is the goal safety and, you know, preventing people from getting injured? Mm. You know, if that was the case, I mean, what happened? I mean, you might have, it might be more dangerous to commute to work, for example. Let's say you take a ferry to work, for yeah. example, mm. uh, and a bunch of people are injured on ferries. You know, what what steps are taken there? So let's be honest about what this what it's about. You know, I think yeah, that right. that's really the message. Let's not sugarcoat it. If 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 we're worried about tourism and we're worried about the local economy and a net's gonna fix that, then let's have that conversation openly as opposed to saying we're trying to keep people safe on the beaches because really we're trying to keep the, the commercial um, tourism industry right. safe there. Yeah, and let's get all the data out. I mean the nets don't just catch sharks. First of all, they're not meant to keep sharks out, they're meant to catch sharks and kill them. So mm. what other animals are caught in these sharks? You know, we've heard stories mm. of uh, you know, humpback whale entanglement, dolphins, yeah. uh, you know, turtles, all sorts of other animals. And so, you know, let's get all the data out there and not just push the story, you know, based on gut feeling about fear of sharks. So Tales by Light, and obviously you mentioned the, the difficulty of photography, the Tales by Light now tells me that that's, that's the part of the, the challenge is to show that you need light to, to properly photo- photograph underwater. Um, you're obviously going to show some of the majesty and beauty of, uh, of the underwater world. Um, th- there'd be some sharks there, yeah? So we'd get some beautiful um, imagery of sharks i'm assuming during the series um it's a three-part series so where do you figure in the series <laughs> do, you, do you get a, a starring role or you're just a little cameo somewhere in one of the episodes uh i have i have a, a starring role Very the, good. the second episode is about me okay which is well about the things so that each I do. episode profiles a, a photographer essentially? yes right, yes cool um and so the second episode which is on november 1st at 7 30 mm-hmm. on nat geo is uh is about big animals underwater. Right. So we're in. The, we'll be in the water with orcas, with wow. lots of sharks, and also with with anacondas. Wow. So three part series. The first one is on the twenty fifth of October. Nat Geo, as you said, this would be a global thing. Obviously, Nat Geo is a global channel, so it's a huge exposure for you. Um, do you see that in in things like? And this is the great thing about the internet and data. You you would see that in search traffic to your website to to your Facebook. You'd get new followers and things. Do you see that when things like this happen and and the show goes to air? Uh. I guess I would see it if I actually did that analysis. No. Um, I'm actually I'm not so concerned about yeah. um, those things. I, I'm more interested in in continuing to do the things that I I think are important and uh, and I'm excited about. So you work at Facebook. You have the coolest job title on the planet at this point. I think head of immersive media. What is that? Immersive media is um, I think in. In the long term, it means a lot of different things potentially because we we see that media is changing very very quickly, and that happened basically for, because of the adoption of digital imaging. Mm. Um, and now I think what's happening is people are starting to experiment a lot with different kinds of media that that break beyond two dimensional services like your phone or your computer screen. And so we're talking three sixty imagery. We talked about that earlier. Yeah, we we had we talked to Nick Seger from Three Sixty Fly only last week about the simplicity now for a consumer to go to JB Hi-Fi and buy a camera for six hundred and fifty bucks, which films a video in three hundred sixty degrees and post that on Facebook, and your friends can use their smartphone to look around. It is, it's mind blowing to think that I can't imagine three years ago I wouldn't have imagined that was possible, right? And and, and now it's completely possible for the consumer, and you obviously would see stuff. Far and away, far and away beyond that, and you test things that you know probably won't come to market for for many years, if at all. Um, so, is is it is it impossible to say what the future is? We talked about VR with the PlayStation VR. It's an immersive experience. It is. See, that's why I wonder about the title immersive media. That is immersive media. A, a three, a, 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 hmm. it's more than three sixty. It's a virtual world. It's it's interactive. There's so right. much possibility with that for education, um, for, for training. There's so many possibilities. And even when you get past um, virtual reality, they start to talk augmented reality. And I, I guess um, Mark Zuckerberg only uh, last week last uh, demonstrated week. on stage a uh, augmented reality 
Facebook Messenger, which is the chat service on Facebook. But the idea was that you got a kind of computer animated version of the people around you so that you could feel like you're having more of a conversation. And I guess that's like for virtual meetings and things. So the future is... The future is virtual because that saves on travel time. It saves on a whole bunch of things. And we use the internet for communication. So why not enhance it um, with technologies like Facebook? Is that the plan? Yeah. So what, what he demonstrated was um, what we're calling social VR. And, and you notice he wrapped 360 media around him, 360 mm. videos and 360 still images around him and the people he was interacting with in that space. Um, and so I, I think that's that was really, really interesting because normally when we're talking about 360 imagery in the last few years, you know, this would be hobbyists doing crazy stuff a few years ago, now yep. consumers doing it. Um, and you experience that, you're sort of, um, you're a little bit isolated right now. You know, you look on your phone and kind of either scroll around or use the IMU, yeah. um, or you can be in a headset environment. But what was really interesting about that particular, it was the keynote for OC3, Oculus Connect 3, last mm -hmm. week. Um, what was really interesting is he could, you know, if we were in that environment together looking at a 360 video, you can actually point to something and show me, and I can just look at you and see where you're pointing. Okay. And we haven't had that analog in digital media yet, right? We've had basically pictures that are sort of independent, and if you're viewing them in 2D, you know, you can point to a picture if you're sharing physical space with someone. Right. Um, but this is now completely in the virtual world and in three dimensions. Because it's one of the challenges of virtual reality and 360 is that I could be filming, and I do it, I film 360 car videos, and I say, have a look at this and have a look at that. But that means the person watching it's got to go, they've got to look over there, they've got to know where to look, whereas you actually kind of need to create an interactivity about the 360. And so that's, again, what becomes immersive. And the challenge for you is to bring that to consumers in such a way that it's easy to adopt. And, you know, you've got, um, more than way more than fifty percent of the population of Australia use Facebook every month. Um, it is it's a behemoth. It's not going anywhere anytime soon. And you have the ability to to challenge and e even create the future in that sense. It's a pretty exciting role. I mean, you got to you got to be chuffed every morning when you wake up and realize that's where you work, let alone what you do for a job. Oh, oh yeah, absolutely. It's uh, absolutely where my interests lie, and it, it doesn't really feel like work because it's so exciting. Tales by Light, the uh, the series um, produced in conjunction with Canon, who, who makes some pretty unbelievable cameras, and you obviously use their cameras when you're doing your underwater photography, uh, premieres on Nat Geo on the 25th of October at 7.30 p.m. Your episode, the 1st of November, you said? Yes, that's right. Um, you'll you'll see Eric Chang uh, featured in, in the Nat Geo series, Tales by Light. Fascinating. Isn't um, it? Eric, we could talk for hours, but I appreciate your time. Enjoy your stay in Australia, and uh, hopefully the, the series rates very well on Nat Geo from the 25th of October. Tales by Light, the Canon series, um, on uh, photographers and the beautiful world of underwater photography. Thanks for coming in. Great. Thanks for having me. Your Tech Life with Trevor Long. So we've just spoken to a bloke who works at Facebook, a company that has literally changed the world. Well, here's another one, Uber. There's so much going on with Uber. It's complex and more than a bit controversial, but I love it. I really love it. I use it regularly. It's, uh, it's an outstanding service and it's, it's changed the world big time. Uh, you wouldn't obviously invest in taxi license plates anymore. I don't think so. And that's not a, that's not a conversation we want to have tonight. It's um, Uber Australia, though. This is unbelievably fascinating. And it's a reason why you need to pay attention to these kind of companies. Uber Australia have teamed up with Infrastructure Partnerships Australia in a bid to help traffic move more freely in our major cities. At any given moment, Uber has thousands of drivers out on the road, and that data is actually invaluable to people who know how to interpret it. David Rorsheim is the general manager of Uber Australia. David, um, so we're going to talk about data here, and we need to break this down a bit so it's understandable for people, but let's put it in some perspective, right? Uber knows where all of its cars are at any one time because um, while you're in the car, it's tracking the car so that it can create a map and bill the, per bill the passenger for the, for the journey. So that's all happening via GPS. On average, how many drivers are on the roads at any one time? Oh, gosh. Uh, that's actually a good question. I wouldn't, wouldn't know that off the top of my head, but you're right. Across Australia, there's 40-odd there's thousand eligible drivers mm -hmm. um, and who, who drive uh, every, every week or so. So at a peak and period in, in the big times of day, the high traffic times, there could be tens of thousands of Uber drivers on the road. Could be. Yeah. So you're tracking everything. You know where everything's happening. And that's not a big brother thing. That's that's actually going to be powerful information. You're tracking locations, the routes taken, and the time taken from X to Y. How is that helping, or how can that help in the future, people like Infrastructure Partnerships Australia? Did they come to you, or did you go to them? Yeah, we've uh, we've been members of the organisation for, for a little while uh, because we are keen to do more than just get people from A to B, but actually 
you know, be part of making these cities work better. Cities are spending tons on you know, more tunnels and bridges and roads. And we're out there saying, hey, look, we've already got all these cars. Let's just make better use of them. Build right. your tunnel, build your road. But in the meantime, if we can get a few more people to sit in the cars we've already got, you know, maybe that'll, that'll ease the pain between now and when the project's ready. So what do, you, what do you see in this data? Are you able to see, I mean, I can tell you, mate, that uh, Pacific Highway between Chatswood and Warunga, shocking from 5.30 till 6. I mean, that's, you don't have to be a rocket scientist. I don't need Uber on the road to tell me that. But is it that you have cars there that you can quantify it better? Or, or, or how does the data work in, in a sense? Yeah, that's, that's right. There's, there's already uh, you know, measurements on the road. What we've done is we've said, look, we've got you know, these thousands of cars driving around and they're real journeys from A to B. And it's what we've put together with the IPA is an independent index. So in each city, Sydney, Melbourne, Brisbane, Perth, we can say on average, how long does it take to get from Parramatta to the CBD during peak hour? And we'll measure it in minutes. Often people talk about congestion, congestion's costing the city billions, but it doesn't really mean much to you and me. No. We can say, on average, if you drive from Parramatta to the CBD and back every day in Sydney during peak hour, you're wasting two and a half hours on top of what it would have been. And are you therefore able driving. to track that over time? So in a year from now, you're going to be able to show us whether whether there's any been any improvement. And for example, will you be able to say in 2020 or whenever the heck the um, the North Connects Tunnel? I live up that way, so it's it's, it's close to my heart. Pennant Hills Road is going to be avoided by thousands of trucks every day. Are you theoretically going to be able to say actually that's had a marked impact on traffic um, once it's been opened? That's right. That's our contribution. So there are projects underway. We noticed anyone that's been in Melbourne recently travelling down the Tullamarine Freeway knows that it's a bit of a mess right mm. now because yep. they're doing some widening. Was there so right now, right now it's painful, but hopefully in a year's time the data will show it was worth the pain. So, so this it- is our independent assessment so that people can say for real, yeah, no, did the government's projects work out good or not? Infrastructure Partnerships Australia is one thing. Are governments and councils also interested? Yeah, we got a really positive response. They obviously they do some of their own measurements, but mm. generally the response has been more data is good. It helps us know whether whether things are working or not. And does that you've obviously had to have a few conversations with government over recent recent months and the year, um, and that's obviously borne fruit for you. Um, you. You've got I don't want to say your way, but you've had change created in in um, Victoria, New South Wales. Um, you, you've had change occur in terms of the taxi taxi industry and the way that Uber is being regulated. Have those conversations in part been uh, made easier because you can show a contribution, not just a, no, not just a money grab? Oh, of course. We, w- we wouldn't be here if we weren't offering something that both the riders liked and the drivers liked. So that's, that's been what happened over the last 12 months. We finally got the opportunity to sit down with government and explain, here's what it is, here's how people are using it, here are the benefits, and overwhelmingly, politicians said, hey, look, yeah, that's, that's good news. And so they, they went through the process of uh, updating the regulations to find a place for both taxis and Uber and, and, and other forms. So, yeah, happy to say that coast-to-coast coast Uber, uh, you know, Uber's been approved and welcomed and we can, uh, we can get on with it. And do you find it staggering still that the Uber conversation often um, is being had with people who've never downloaded the app? We've got a lot of work to do. We're, we're excited to have a couple of million Australians using it, but you know what keeps me busy is wondering why the other the other ninety percent not using it yet. <laughs> so we've, we've got some work to do. Look, the, the app is a, is an intuitive for everybody, so we've, we've okay. still got to explain to people how to use it and and when, why they should use it. The biggest competition we have is people still driving their own car. They're like, look, I just know how to do it. It's in the driveway. Away I go. Mm. Well, so your the theory is, and look, when you if anyone ever goes to San Francisco. Um, you'll realise how far we have to go when you open the Uber app. When I opened the Uber app in San Francisco a few uh, weeks ago, there was, I think, 15 options down the bottom. In Australia, you've got UberX, Uber Taxi, and Uber Black. In San Francisco, you've got Uber Pool, Uber This, Uber That. It's just stunning Uber. the number of options. <clears throat> Uber Pool What's that? allows you to say, you know what, I want to go from here to here. And David, correct me if I'm wrong here because I've never used it. But I want to go from here to here. And what it'll do is it'll allow a car to pick you up and other people will be in the car. So mm. you're carpooling with other people, so you're splitting the fare, essentially. Is that a reasonable summary, David? That's exactly right. If you want, you save a bit of money, but there's a bit of a detour. But, yeah, that's the choice. Why don't yeah. we have it here? Uh, it's, I guess it's all about time, is it, David? You, you've got to build a maturity in your drivers, customers, and the market generally before you can introduce those kind of things? Yeah, we're, we're getting close. Obviously, 
in order to make it not inconvenient, we need to find someone that right now is headed in exactly the same direction as you from where you are. And you know, clearly, we need a lot of people on the platform. That's to find a very good idea. It's a very well. Use hang transit on. lanes. You think that's a great idea? Now I'm a bit disappointed. I don't have my iPhone with me, so I'm, I'm swapping phones at the moment, David. Don't think I've stopped using Uber. I just don't have it on my app right now. But you think pool's cool? What about this? You're at home. You're hungry. You couldn't be bothered getting off your ass. Uber eats. So what you do is you swipe left or right or something in the app, and you then get to choose from a menu. Um, from one of the local restaurants, you choose your food, you pay for your food, and an Uber driver brings it to you. Yeah. Look at this. It's on John John's phone right now. We can just choose some food. So how does that? How long has that been around? You've only just launched it, I think, in Adelaide. How's that going in Sydney? Yeah, about uh, less than six months old in Australia. Sydney and Melbourne got it first, and this week Adelaide, Brisbane, and Perth. But it's exactly as described. You're a great spokesperson. It is. Uh, I'm not a spokesperson. Let's be clear. <laughs> I'm a user. <laughs> the uh, no. So what we do is we go talk to restaurants, most of whom have never done delivery before, and say, oh. "Look, delivery is a pain, but we can just take care of everything for you. We've got an app. We'll take the orders. You cook the food, and then as soon as the food's ready, an Uber driver will be up front, pick it up, take it to the uh, to the eater's home." And suddenly they've got a new source of business for these restaurants, and you get to sit at home and uh, just sit back. They do it with grog too. No, they did. <laughs> Can you get alcohol? <laughs> We're uh, Uber- food at the moment. Yeah, just sticking with food. Listen, my biggest challenge is, um, you know, my wife goes out with the girlfriends. Um, kids are asleep. I'm a responsible parent. I'm not ducking down the street for a paddle pop when the kids are asleep. I'm not leaving them home alone. Can I just get a paddle pop, mate? I sometimes just want a paddle pop to It'd leave. It'd be them. the most expensive paddle pop you've I'd ever be had. happy to pay for Would I don't you? care. Are yes. You, are you that lazy? Sometimes. No, I can't leave the house. The oh, kids are the kids asleep. Are there. Yeah, of course. I got you. Jeez, I am also lazy. No, anyway, you don't anyway. deliver paddle pops is the answer to that question. Food. What's next, uh, Dave? Uh, you've got the infrastructure partnership. You're providing data. You're, you're uh, you know, helping theoretically governments measure their success or otherwise of infrastructure. You're delivering food. What's the next thing for Uber in Australia? Well, my next challenge is to get pretty much everyone that owns a car to sign up as a driver. You've got an option now where instead of you know driving around anywhere passengers want to go, you can log on to Uber and say, I'm driving from Cronulla to the city. I'm only interested in picking up people on my way to work or wherever I'm Proper headed. Proper carpooling. And it's you're commuting to work. And so my goal is to get, get you to log on and uh, pick up people on your way to work. And the last thing I'll say, because obviously there is a lot of negativity around, is you do need to you need to use the power of the system as a as a as a passenger, right? The power of the system with Uber is the the passenger rates the driver, the driver rates the passenger. So if at the end of the drive I was disappointed, I was upset, or something negative happened on the drive, you hit one star, and I tell you, I've one star a couple of people. Uber is on the email almost immediately saying, what happened, what's wrong? And I'm assuming, David, you follow those things up much faster than if you've ever run combined taxis and tried to complain. Well, and don't forget the drivers rate you too, so sometimes... Yeah, 4.75, I'm not happy, Dave, not happy. (laughs) Lift lift your game. What is it out of? Five. Some you got, nasty, you got four, on four point seven four, I think. He got you in a bad mood. Because well, you a are a grouchy, you can, can be, be grumpy. You can be very yeah. grumpy. My, my wife's sitting at home going, "Yes." Anyway, but the point is, David, if if you're experiencing anything negative about Uber, you have a hotline to Uber by uh, the star rating. If anything happens, you star rate. And obviously, if anything uh, extreme happens, you 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 have the contact details of the person, and you can take that to the authorities, and that can be followed up by Uber, can't it? That's right. And then back to where the conversation began, that's also what the GPS tracking is for. We know where the journey happened and when, whenever the law enforcement wants to know about it, we, we can hand it over. Good on you, Dave. David Rorschach, the General Manager of Uber in Australia. Thanks for your time, mate. Thanks, guys. Good night. Well, there we go. I, I find those things fascinating. I think Uber, despite its controversy, is full of uh, informative data and information that can um, can help councils, governments, and hopefully it will. Um, Eric from Facebook, what an absolutely top bloke. And I honestly think the Kodak Moments app is not the best social network in the world, but a great way to get, and think think Christmas here, people. Get some photo books made of all those photos sitting on your phone. Get some Christmas gifts made. Get a little book made up or a mug or a, a canvas print. All great ideas and um, look forward to talking to you on the next episode of Your Tech Life, episode 350, in fact. Look at that. Have I been counting correctly? I don't know. I feel like I have. 348.
347. Yeah, I feel like we're right. Um, 350 coming up uh, very soon. Thanks to the good people at Garmin, Satellite Navigation, GPS Technology, and those wonderful fitness trackers, including the new Vivo Fit Junior and Alcatel. Uh, and their range of wonderful smartphones. Uh, we'll talk to you soon on Your Tech Life. Love your feedback, please, anytime you can, uh, especially about the format of the show, the timing of the show. Um, the NBN, I want to hear about that. I want to hear about your connected devices. I want to hear about all your feedback. Google Pixel advertising in your area. Hit me up on uh, Twitter, at Trevor Long, on Facebook, trevorlong.com, or go to the website, eftm.com.au. Talk to you soon. Your Tech Life with Trevor Long.